Joel Barker grew up in this church, and uh, he has haunted these valleys around here for a long time. Uh, he was the president of the student body at Letourneau. Uh, he distinguished himself as a helicopter pilot and works with Hella Missions, a missionary organization which ferries supplies and medical personnel and people uh, who are injured to hospitals in difficult places in the world. Last year, Joel was almost killed in a terrible accident in which one person was killed. He is one of those young Christians who has hazarded his life for the gospel. He is being back in Montreat and with us today. It's a very emotional thing for me because I love him. I've prayed for him as many of you have. And I asked him to take a couple of minutes today to speak to us. Thank you. You just don't know how it is so good to be back in this valley. Last Sunday morning was a little bit different. I had taken off early to get permission from the government to make a flight into the northeast of Cameroon in western Africa in the helicopter. We had take some, taken some missionaries who were going to do uh, an ordination service for a national pastor in a very remote bush village. After flying for about a hundred miles over the, the mountains, we came into the area where the, we knew the village was, although the village was so small it was not on the map. So we landed in the village and got out to check, but it wasn't the village. <laughs> they told us, no, Sirkambaka is the foot of that hill over there. So we lifted up the helicopter and moved to the foot of the hill. And as I leaned out one door to check for clearance between the banana trees and the coconut palms, we sat down in the middle of the village, nearly blowing the hut off the grass-roofed house beside us. And we got out on the ground. And as I sat through the service, I thought, my goodness, what a difference it's going to be next Sunday. <laughs> and I just thank the Lord for being back here with my family and friends. And I just want to thank you for praying for us, for the tremendous encouragement that so many of you have been. And I'm just very grateful. And I just give you my deep and heartfelt thanks. Thank you. I want us to applaud. <laughs> Joel, we're glad you're home. <laughs> and I know your mom and dad are. Ed Drew is another answer to prayer. Ed came to our community about almost seven years ago, about seven years ago. And I remember going through some times when we prayed hard together too. Ed was out in Vietnam and suffered an injury there which impaired uh, his speaking ability, but which God has marvelously uh, started recouping for him. He wanted very much to go back into the military as a chaplain. It seemed that every single uh, door was closed. Obstacle after obstacle it presented itself. Ed is a faithful prayer warrior. He has been at prayer meetings early in the morning, at night, at every other time. He has helped many of our people here in Montreat. He worked as a volunteer worker at Oteen and also at Memorial Mission Hospital in Asheville. And in answer to prayer, God has now uh, granted him a commission in the United States Army. Uh, he will be assigned to the 82nd Airborne and will soon be leaving us for that assignment. And I wanted him to speak to us briefly. Thank you. Praise the Lord for being here, too, this morning. And uh, 
I feel a little bit like Joel. I was down in Mississippi for two weeks down a summer camp, and, and we're out there in the middle of, of the boondocks uh, with the armadillos and the 100-degree weather. And uh, I praise God for being here this morning, too. You appreciate the mountains a whole lot more. <clears throat> I was trying to think, I think. <clears throat> Let me take some water here. <clears throat> Uh, just about a week ago, we were sitting listening on the radio and got an emergency call. And they called in that a tank had run over a jeep and, and, and pinned a, a, a man in the tank. And as we got that call, we sent out our helicopter, our, our uh, aviation helicopter, to pick him up with medics on board and took him to the closest hospital in Hattiesburg. And uh, I worked as a hospital chaplain in a mass unit in the summer camp, and so I went in on down the hospital, and I saw this man. He's in critical condition, one of the sergeants. And I talked to the neurosurgeon, and he said 10 to 20% chance to live. And the man was badly uh, bruised and, and, and cut up, and all sorts of complications had set in, had some brain damage and some chest injuries. And, and, and so I talked to the other doctor in the emergency room, and he didn't give him much chance. And so I had the privilege to call his wife and, and to talk to her in the hospital, talk to her and the doctor, explain the injuries. And she was planning on coming down that day. And the next day, she's going to be at the hospital. And, and the next morning, I had, had some time by myself and, and praying and working through Psalm 119. And I knew what the doctors had said, and I knew there wasn't really much of a chance for this man and, and, and for what they had said. But the Lord said, Jesus said, he's going to live. And praise God, he worked through that. And when I left Friday, uh, he was heading toward a private room, was talking, his eyes open and responding, and they had a minimum amount of brain damage, and his chest injuries were healing, and, and the Lord put him back together. <laughs> and I found out later he was a Christian, and had come to summer camp with a Bible study, and a serious, had just made a, a commitment to Christ and had joined his local church, and was following the Lord. And I praise God for that. Uh, some of the people in our unit saw that Jeep, that a 60-ton tank had run over, and they said there's no way that man could have gotten out of that thing. But uh, the Lord Jesus was there, and he said he's going to live, and I praise God for that. The Lord Jesus said, I'm going in the chaplaincy, and there's no way. This time last year, I wasn't even commissioned in the reserves, and I had zero hope of getting in. And within a year's period of time, uh, I'm heading toward the chaplaincy in two weeks, <laughs> and the Lord has done it. And I praise God for that, and praise God for Calvin and the prayers and, and the ministry here at the church. And a special thanks to Tom and Nancy Barker and, and the time and effort and, and prayers that they, they have shared with us in teaching and, and the different experiences we've had in learning. And the Lord can do some amazing things, and the key is to turn our life over to Him and to let Him direct it and, and to let Him um, be guide, guide us and, and just to follow, follow the Lord. I had some exciting experiences in Vietnam, and the Lord met those needs wonderfully over there. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting back with the unit I was with in Vietnam, the 82nd Airborne and Fort Bragg. So I, I got my first choice. I'm going to stay in North Carolina, and I was excited about that. I used to be six foot four, but now, since I've been jumping out of airplanes, I'm a little shorter. So <laughs> the, next, the next time I come back to see, I may be about five foot tall. But, uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that, and I'd like to close this morning with a poem from Corey Ten Boone's book, Clippings from a Notebook. Eternity. A man may go to heaven without health, without wealth, without fame, without a great, a great nature, without learning, 
without big earning, without culture, without beauty, without friends, without 10,000 other things, but he never can go to heaven without Christ. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, and I thank him for restoring and helping and blessing and healing us. Amen. Thank you, man. Thank you very much. We have been looking into the book of Acts. It's some highlights there. And in preparation for communion today, we could scarce have come to a more fitting passage of Scripture, especially in the light of our missionary both to the military and uh, our missionary here to Zaire and Joel also to the Cameroon. If you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 8, verse 26, following. But the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go to the south, to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. That is a desert road. And he arose and went. And behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasury, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, sitting in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its sharer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and began from this scripture, and he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, and Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. May God bless to our hearts this reading from his word. Let us all pray. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, we rejoice in all the wonderful gifts that we have in this land. 
Thou hast given us more than we deserve. We pray that you will make us more worthy of your gifts. We pray that you will accept these offerings which we bring this day and that you will supervise their use so that they might glorify the name of Jesus Christ and that they might bring salvation and help to many people. And now in the time that we have allotted to think about the scriptures and the meaning of coming to your holy supper, we pray that you will speak to our hearts that word which we need most to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Now then, in uh, preparation for our communion, I have read to you a remarkable passage of Scripture. You will remember that last week we saw how when the church of God is greatly blessed and there is a movement of the Spirit of God and miracles are performed and there is a rush of people to hear and listen to the Word of God, that it's inevitable that Satan will seek to counterfeit the work of the gospel. He does this. He does it uh, by many different ways. His opposition, his attacks come from crude suppression of the church as exists in many communist countries today, to subtle invasion within the church, and where people guilty of hypocrisy, that is play acting literally, fake the Christian message, and also pretend at being Christians when they are not. Jesus was strong in his condemnation of hypocrisy, very strong against it. That's why the case of Ananias and Sapphira had to be spoken about. Uh, it's one of those things which is not spoken about enough today. And it's always interesting to me that the saintliest, godliest, most careful Christians that I know are always the ones who come up to me after the service and say, I'm glad you spoke this lesson today. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be unfaithful and pretend that I am something that I am not before the Lord. You see, if there is not some good currency in circulation, a counterfeiter wouldn't have a chance. But when there is good currency in circulation, he counterfeits. And so that's one of the things that exists. Well, after we are told about this, we are told that there were appointed uh, seven deacons. Uh, the, the apostles were ministers of the Word of God, ministers of the Word and the sacraments. And it was necessary for them to give their time to that, but there were also needs that had to be met because of oppression that had arisen against the church. And so there were seven deacons that were chosen. And amongst those seven deacons was one man whose name is Philip. It's strange how we always speak of Paul the Apostle. Uh, we speak of Philip the Evangelist. This Philip is not one of the twelve apostles. He was one of the seven deacons. He was evidently a very good person because he was selected as one who had a good reputation. His character was well known. Uh, he was a person of good judgment. And so he was made a deacon in the early church and to be in charge of helping to supervise the distribution of gifts of food 
to those who were widows and who had children that were in need. He was also a person who was full of the Holy Spirit. That means possessed by the Holy Spirit. There was something about him that was so powerful with the presence of God that when he spoke about Jesus, there would be people who would listen to him. And this Philip, because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, was gifted at speaking to other persons about faith in Jesus Christ. I am glad that at the North Carolina Women's Conference, uh, here in this chapel, uh, Anne Graham Lotz uh, gave a series of, of Bible studies to the women of the Church of North Carolina, seeking to help them to come to an understanding of how important Bible study is and how to really apply themselves to the Scriptures so that they could relate their faith in Jesus Christ to other people. And how Ida Morris spoke also about witnessing for Jesus Christ. Because the Christian faith is not something where we hire the preachers and the missionaries to do the witnessing. The Christian faith is something where we, as individual members of the body of Christ, are to bear a testimony to him. What would you say to the man who was pinned under a jeep and was dying if he was conscious and he was able to speak to you and ask you, how may I meet my maker? Can you tell me what I must do to be saved? I'm going into the presence of God. It's not unusual for me to be called to the hospital to see someone who in just a few hours will be out of this life and their breath here will be no more. And the words that are spoken to them have to be words that are charged with the Holy Spirit's direction and guidance. We need to have a good knowledge of the scriptures. Well, let me begin quickly to tell you what happens here. This Philip who is gifted at speaking the gospel and who has evidently, like the apostles, been one of those who has been with Jesus. He is one of those who can talk to others about faith in Jesus Christ, and I want to challenge you with that. Are you able to talk to anyone about faith in Jesus Christ, and does your life back it up? It's not enough just to babble and hand someone a track. If your life is corrupt, and insincere and unfaithful to Christ, that's terrible. Your life and the message ought to go together. And those things ought to be made very clear. And it's not just enough to think that because you say some words to someone that that discharges you of the responsibility uh, of having borne a testimony. It does not. Our lives are to be lived consistently so that people will give credibility to the message that we speak and above all honor the Lord who is our Lord. Well, Philip had a great ministry, gifted as a deacon, preacher, evangelist in Samaria. And this is an interesting thing in Luke because the Samaritans were very hated people. They were renegades. They had only half of the Bible, and Isaiah wasn't a part of it. So it's unusual 
that uh, when uh, Philip should have uh, gone into Samaria, he preaches and a great revival comes so that Peter and John have to come there and see that the work of the Holy Spirit is really going on in Samaria. Now the Samaritans are sort of half Jews. And the apostles are beginning to learn that God is going to speak to someone else besides Jews. That he's going to break over a racial barrier. And he's hit the halfway mark with the Samaritans. And Peter and John go and they come back and say, we cannot deny it, the Holy Spirit is there. He has witnessed to them and faith in Jesus Christ is evident. They have accepted Jesus as the Messiah and we must be willing to accept these Samaritans too. And now we go a step further. Not only will it be Samaritans, but here is a man of Ethiopia. Uh, a man uh, of what would be called Nubia. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen anyone a Nubian. I can never forget the first time I saw some of these people was in Cairo. Their skin is blue-black. It's the blackest black I ever saw. It's, it's really, it, black is beautiful. That black is really beautiful. It, it's a blue-black. And uh, I remember just being fascinated at looking. You, you've seen people like this, John. They, they're amazing uh, to see. You don't see that color very often, and, and it is so striking. Well, this Ethiopian, uh, was, uh, he was not a proselyte because he was a eunuch. And uh, that means that he would not have been allowed to go into the temple as such because of Jewish law. And yet, even in that day and time, there were people who were so turned off by the evil that existed that even if they couldn't be accepted into the full fellowship as a proselyte, they took what they could. They took what they could because of the high, clean, honest morality of the Jews. When Jesus said one day about the Pharisees that you canvass all these places to make one uh, convert to Judaism, he gave them a great compliment. Do you, when you go from place to place, try to communicate your faith in Jesus Christ to someone else? And do they see a quality of life in you that's so different in what you talk about, think about, live for and do that they are really attracted to it the best way to show that a stick is crooked is to lay a straight one down beside it and so these early Christians attracted people and the Jews who were true to faith in Jehovah attracted people and this man who had risen to a place of great authority Chancellor of the Exchequer. And you know our Jewish friends has a, have a way of always getting into financial circles. <laughs> it's no strange thing that the Rothschilds are famous in banking uh, or, or that you see them all over the world. Well, they would have had contact in their banking contacts with other nations. And so in this Ethiopian country, they would have had contact in this area with the head treasurer there. And uh, one of them told them about their Old Testament scriptures, and this man was attracted to it, 
And so he began to learn. He must have had a money uh, of his own personal wealth to buy a copy of the scroll of Isaiah in Greek would have been a tremendous purchase because it was all written carefully in longhand on parchment. And he had that. And he had gone all the way to Jerusalem for one of the festivals there to enhance his faith. How far do you go to deepen your faith? How much trouble do you give to it? How much time do you spend reading the Bible? Well, he had done this. And I expect that when he was in the city of Jerusalem, he may have heard one of the apostles preaching and teaching and heard some word about Jesus. Perhaps he walked up and down the street and said to some person there, Can you tell me? Tell me about Jesus. I've heard that he may be the Messiah. Has the Messiah really come or has he not come? This must have been on his mind. Well, Philip is snatched out of his preaching to large crowds in Samaria. He is told by an angel, a messenger of God, to go out onto a desert way and to strike out on a lonesome, deserted place. I'm sure that if a person were the pastor of the largest Presbyterian church in the United States, and God should suddenly send an angel to say to him, you are called to go out on US 80 and, and speak to one person. He'd say, huh? Uh, are you sure that I've got this message right? Uh, but this didn't occur to Philip. He was obedient. One of the keys to getting the guidance of God is being willing to obey the guidance when you get it. Most people don't discover the will of God because they're afraid of what they'll find when they get the will of God. That it won't be what they want it to be. But if you're really willing to make yourself available to the will of God, then God will lead you. And so Philip was willing, and he left the great crowds and throngs that he was preaching to, and he went out onto the desert road in obedience to what the angel had told him. And on that desert road, he saw a caravan come by. He saw what we are called here a chariot, probably a huge wagon of some type with outriders in front and in back. It couldn't have been moving at a very fast clip. And so Philip runs up alongside of it. It would have gone very little faster than he could have walked or run alongside. It was the custom at that time for people to read out loud, and he heard that person of great dignity and authority inside that chariot, either having a slave read to him or perhaps himself reading out loud from the scroll of Isaiah, those words which were read a moment ago by you in unison. He was bruised for our iniquities, by his stripes we are healed. And Philip said to him, Do you understand what you're reading? And the man was not offended. He said, How can I, except someone should guide me? And he invited Philip to come up into the chariot and to sit down by him and to explain to him. And beginning at that place, we are told by the scripture, he preached unto him Jesus. And this is amazing. 
the Holy Spirit had led him over there, and the Holy Spirit led him to the words to say. Do you obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit about a telephone call that ought to be made to someone, or an apology that ought to be made, or a letter that ought to be written, or a gift that ought to be given? Be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I can never forget one time in my life uh, coming, I'd been in uh, Vietnam, and coming back I'd gone to Rangoon in Burma, and then I'd gone to Calcutta, and then I somehow got to Beirut, and uh, while I was there, some lady got on the airplane, and it was crowded, and she was seated by me, and the plane was flying on to London, uh, where I was to be met by some person from the embassy, American embassy, because I was on a trip for the government, and uh, I got into a, after people eat, they usually will talk, <laughs> and uh, it was a long airplane ride, so we got to talking, and uh, she spoke English very well, and so I talked to her about faith in Jesus Christ, and she was very honest, and uh, uh, this led to a good discussion, and I tried to be careful to witness to her as tactfully as I knew how. When I got to uh, London, I was on Pan American Flight 1, I got off the airplane, the uh, lieutenant commander from the uh, embassy, the military attaché was there to take me away, and I told the woman goodbye. I went uh, on with the, the military man, and then the next day, I was going to hear Billy Graham, who's in London, now I was going there to be uh, uh, attend one of his meetings, and then rest over a night, and then come on home. And uh, the next day, uh, one of my very close friends, Lane Adams, uh, whom I hadn't even seen in London, got on the same airplane. He told me this later. And he said that uh, it was Pan American Flight 1, the continuation of that flight which keeps going. And he was coming across the ocean. And he was seated right by that same woman. They got into a conversation after the meal. He started talking to her about faith in Christ, and she seemed shocked. And she said, uh, you, you, uh, you remind me of an American that was on the airplane uh, uh, coming from Beirut to London. And he said, would that American have been from the South in America? <laughs> she was shocked. And it, was he coming from Vietnam? And she said, yes, how did you know that? And then Lane told her something that Lane has a wonderful direct way of getting to the point. Lane said, Lady, God's going to a lot of trouble to tell you something. <laughs> and he said, if I were you, I'd listen. <laughs> and then he really zeroed in and witnessed to her about faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, she was going from New York to Pittsburgh, and so he said to her, when you get to Pittsburgh, and you go to the hotel, you'll probably find a Gideon Bible in the room. And I would advise you to open that Bible, and he gave her passages to read. Now, could you tell another person some passages to read in Scripture that might help them to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior? Whatever Philip said, it must have been tremendous, because he must have also mentioned, we just have a sketch of what was spoken here, something about baptism, because when this Ethiopian saw water, he was already ready. 
You see, the Lord may have used people there in Jerusalem when he was uh, gone there for the festival. He uh, used many things. Of whom speaketh this man? Uh, of himself or of some other man? Then beginning at that place, he preached unto him Jesus. I believe Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. Because our time is gone, I want to conclude by telling you a story of how man was converted with that passage. He had been a very wicked and evil sea captain. His whole ship was a ship of terrible people. But this man, whose name was John Coates, who was as ungodly as a man could have been, came to die. And he was out in mid-ocean. And death was staring him in the face, and he shrank back in the presence of the King of Terrors. The dread of eternity began to take hold of him, and he sent for the first mate. And he asked him if he would pray for him. But the first mate told him he didn't know how to pray. He sent for the second mate and said, could he pray? And the man said, I... I know nothing about these matters. And then he said, Is there anyone who can pray with me? And someone remembered that the cook's boy, a little boy by the name of Willie Platt, had been seen with a Bible in his hands studying it. And so the captain sent for that boy. The dying captain asked him if he could read him something that might help him in his extremity. And the boy began to read the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, that same passage that that Ethiopian was reading, that Philip interpreted. And when he came to the words, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, with his stripes we are healed. The captain who was listening intently said, Stop. Stop, boy. That sounds like it. Sounds like it might have been meant for me. Read it again. And then the boy remembered how his mother had trained him in the Bible. And he said, Captain, shall I read this to you the way my mother taught me to read it? With my name in it? And he read, He, Jesus, was wounded for Willie Platt's transgressions. He was bruised for Willie Platt's iniquities. The chastisement of Willie Platt's peace was upon him. With his stripes, Willie is healed. The captain asked the lad to, to put his own name in that passage and read it back to him. And so the boy read, he was wounded for John Coates' transgressions. He was bruised for John Coates' iniquities. And when he had finished, the captain said, that'll do, boy. You may go now. And he lay back on his pillow and repeated over and over again that precious verse from Isaiah, putting in his own name each time. And as he did so, a peace from heaven flooded over his soul. And the soul of Captain John Coates soon passed away. 
His body was rolled in canvas and placed on a plank and allowed to glide overboard into the water until the time that the sea shall give up her dead. But before that happened, that rough seaman testified to his two mates that Jesus Christ had been wounded for his transgressions and that by the stripes of Jesus Christ, he, John Coates, had been healed. That can be your experience as we come. O Lord, our God, who desireth not the death of a sinner, but that he should turn from his sin unto thee and live, we give thee humble thanks and praise for all that thou hast done for the children of men, for the great love wherewith thou hast loved us, for the redemption that thou hast wrought for us in Jesus Christ, and for the abundant life that is ours through him. Forgive us, whom thou hast made heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, that we should be so blind to the riches of our inheritance and so content to be little in spirit and so indifferent to the divine opportunities of this earthly life. And grant us that in this sacrament we may see a vision of thee as thou art and of ourselves as thou wouldst have us be. And that hating the evil and careless ways in which we have lived, we may now forsake them and look unto thee and grant us by the assurance of this sacrament that we may know that just as truly as we can hold these bits of bread in our hand and just as really as we may actually see and taste the fruit of the vine, that so really did Jesus Christ actually die that the reality of our sins might be taken away and that we might be forgiven and be made righteous in thy sight, that by his stripes we are healed. So grant us that peace as we approach this thy holy table. In his name, amen.